unhappiest in the saddle, <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time, we are careering all the way into the future from our last episode of The Lost Boys, which was 1987, to which year, George? 1987. Oh, right. So we are definitely stuck in the 80s. We've definitely done a lot of 1987 this year, because I think Robocop was also 1987. We love that year. Great year. Great year. A great year for film. Yeah. Uh, well, it's Lethal Weapon. It's Christmas. What, yeah, I was going to say, what time of year is it, though, Charlie? It's, it's Christmas. It's the time of giving. Holidays are coming. Oh, holidays are coming. It's time of Theo. Sorry, wrong, wrong film. Wrong film. Wrong film. So, yeah, what better film? We did a Richard Donner production in our last episode, The Lost Boys, uh, Thank you for all the feedback and shares. That was obviously a popular one for Halloween. And with it being end of November, Black Friday, you can all go into shops and kill each other. But before then, to get you in the Christmas spirit, we've gone back to a Richard Donner director, direct, directorial, uh, which is Lethal Weapon, the first film. Not Loaded Weapon 1. No. And not Lethal Weapon 2, 3, or 4. Or even Lethal Weapon, the series. Yeah, so we will be uh, spending some time talking about First Memories, why this was a big film for us and for everybody, and then George will explain why it was successful, because we'll talk about production. I know. (laughs) I know why it was successful. (laughs) And why we are not getting too old for this shit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll talk about the the amazing casting of Danny Glover and Mel Gibson. We'll go to all the usual places that we do, going through the film. Then we will do some coulda, woulda, shoulda, some suspicious spin-offs. But if you're not sure what to expect, here's George with a quick word with some general housekeeping. Yes, so uh, we are movie lovers. Uh, We are not film professionals. So uh, whilst we aim for accuracy, there may be the odd bit of trivia that we miss or sometimes may get wrong. Uh, But it comes from a good place. So, yeah, this is all about uh, Charlie and I going back and looking at the movies that we grew up with and the movies that we we love. Do we still love them? Do they still hold up? Um, we're going to be going into... Why do we love them? Why do we love them? We're going to be going into these films into in great detail, so there will be spoilers from the very off. Because these are adult films dealing with mature themes, there is going to be some potentially fruity language. So be potential if you have anyone that could be easily offended. And is there anything else? Oh, there will be probably some bad impressions as well. Yeah, we're just not sure who we will inhibit as we go through this. True. I think we might surprise each other. So it's 987. Obviously, you were maybe watching The Lost Boys in terms of uh, music. It was You 2 with or without you, or George Michael, I Want Your Sex. I don't know what which aisle you fell into, George. Probably more of a U2 guy, yeah? No, no, it's all about the, the George Michael. <laughs> all about George Michael. Uh, but many other big films from this year. Uh, obviously, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Predator, which we've covered before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously saying the, the Lost Boys but this is it's Christmas it's Lethal Weapon and here it is here's what George and I think revisiting it today
He's a criminal's worst nightmare. A cop who enjoys the danger. No guns, no jujitsu, just bring him down. Do you really want to jump? Well, then that's fine with me. Come on. Wait, I what do you mean? Wait a minute. What the? King was ready to retire. Now, he's gonna wish he had. Gun! Oh, oh, oh. Raj, meet your new partner. New partner? If these guys can just stand each other... What you got in there? Four-inch Smith? A lot of old-timers carry those. The bad guys don't stand a chance. Don't kill anybody. Don't kill anybody. I'm too old for this. Are you as good as you say you are? Nobody can touch me. We better register you as a lethal weapon. You ever met anybody you didn't kill? Well, I haven't killed you yet. So, George, 1987, Christmas, sorry, March. <laughs> yeah. How did we get the film that is Lethal Weapon? Um, well, we have touched on this uh, a little bit obviously there is that sort of uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever you want to call it there's a few names that have come up across various different uh, retro ramble episodes one of them is Joel Silver who is a big Hollywood producer and that's produced this he's produced a lot of other uh, a lot of our favorite uh, 80s and 90s and even now he's still producing movies I'm you know repeating myself but you know he is a man behind obviously Lethal Weapon Die Hard Predator um, the Matrix, the Matrix movies, uh, Commando, um, Commando, amongst others, uh, Last Boy Scout. So yeah, he's a big Hollywood producer, and we've also talked about Shane Black a little bit because Shane Black was one of the actors in Predator. We he definitely was, talked about Hawkins him. was the, the first person to get picked off the the geeky guy with glasses with the comic books, but he is primarily known as a writer director, and this was his first script sale I should say technically so Shane this Black, is what made Shane Black Shane Black yes yes this is what put him on on the map and put him on the road to becoming uh, for a time the highest paid script writer in Hollywood and even in this uh, situation so he's 23 years old and trying to become an actor when he wrote the first draft of uh, Lethal Weapon and he wrote that in, uh, in apparently around six weeks he said the first draft he did was was terrible. Like looking back, he said it was very different, much darker, had a different plot. It was much more over the top. It had uh, I think the ending accumulated in the Hollywood sign on fire, and it was raining cocaine or heroin. George, was, this isn't Demolition Man. There was lots of. <laughs> does sound like Demolition. Maybe that's where Joel Silver Joel Silver got did Demolition Man. There, there you go. go. That's where he got the idea. Yeah. He basically wanted to see the Hollywood Ooh. sign on fire. On fire at some and, point. And it's raining film. coke, but just in his office. I, I didn't say that. Um, so yeah, it was it was a bit different. But so he went back and did uh, a few uh, redrafts. But he was paid. So considering this was his first bought script, so he had done another script, which I'll touch on later. But his first script, he was paid two hundred fifty thousand. So yeah, quarter of a million um, up front, and then another hundred fifty thousand after the movie was produced. So this is in nineteen eighty seven. 
and he's 23 years old. He's and, unheard of. And this is his second script. That's, that's incredible. It's interesting because obviously there's there's quite a few changes to his script um, from, from that initial idea. But yeah, this is pretty much, as you say, what made Shane Black. And Shane Black would, just to give you a bit of background, he would go on to, I say he, I think he did some uncredited work behind the scenes on Predator. So he was hired by Joel, Joel Silver, became basically a, a mentor figure to him and basically said, you know, I'm going to look a- look after you, kid. I'm going to look after you. And so I he- remember us covering this in the Predator yes. episode. That he- didn't he do some rewrites? Yes, uncredited rewrites. So basically, Joel Silver basically hired him as a un- like an uncredited script. Just sounds doctor. to me like they they had a few brewskis after shooting while Arnie and the other guys were pumping iron and running forty k. They were probably getting on it, and he's like, "Well, I, well, you know, I think that the character could do this." It's like, mm. "You've got it, yeah. okay? Do these rewrites." And and at the time, because Joel Silver like. So he had something. He was like, right, I'll give you the part in this film. Just keep basically to keep him in work, to keep him on a salary. Keep writing. Keep writing. But yeah, he would go on to do, I mean, he's done uh, loads of stuff. So Long Kiss Goodnight, uh, Last Boy Scout. He's, yeah, he did drafts on Lethal Weapon 2. I think that he only did the drafts on the first two. And obviously, Chain Black in his own right has become a a writer and director so he does his own stuff now so he did the very brilliant kiss kiss bang bang uh, which arguably got robert downey jr the role of iron man because that kind of put robert downey jr back on the map and speaking of iron man um he did I, iron man 3 he did he? iron man 3 and he also did the very brilliant and probably not very seen uh the nice guys with which i Russ- think we both agree is one of the best comedies to come out in the last few years yeah and he also did the last predator film but the less said about that the better i still haven't seen that yet it's George won't let me Kent. George won't let me see it. Um, so where were we? Um, yes. So in uh, Black's original script, it spent a lot more time on the the, the grim Vietnam uh, backstories. Um, it was a lot more violent. It fleshed out the sort of competition between Joshua and Riggs in in uh, Vietnam. George, that's Mr. Joshua. Sorry, Mr. Joshua. And yes, uh, I say it had that very over the top uh, ending. So. In terms of directors that came on board, so you had this hot script, came to the attention of Joel Silver. Joel Silver's first choice, interestingly, was Sir Ridley Scott. Sir Ridley Scott League? Sir Ridley Scott of South Shields. (laughs) And uh, he was the first choice. Uh, However, um, as this was a, um, the script was owned by Warner Brothers. Where were we in Ridley Scott's career? Uh, Ridley Scott so this is Alien you know so this is this is well the reason that Ridley Scott didn't get the job is because he'd worked uh, on uh, Blade Runner with Warner Brothers and due to tensions it was a very tortuous shoot it was a very long shoot but as we you know we all agree it's a brilliant film Um, but Warner Brothers weren't too keen to work with Ridley Scott again um, it's kind of like we'll probably talk about this at some point in this episode uh, di- director's cuts of films whenever you see a director's cut of a film basically between the lines is there was a falling out the yes. studio changed the director's oh, vision too much there's and a, that's true of Blade Runner and it's even true of one of Richard Donner's later films yes. which we'll get to yeah of course keep um, talking about Serretas sorry to so yeah so um, I mean there is just on that point there's me getting a little bit sidetracked but um, there's a fantastic uh, making of documentary uh, on the Blade Runner saga I, um, I, I think it's called something like uh, Perchance to Dream maybe or it's, it's basically a three hour documentary all about 
about the trials and tribulations of Blade Runner. But yeah, check that out if you can. So yeah, uh, Warner Brothers didn't want Ridley Scott because he was a pain in the ass to work with, apparently. So <laughs> the next name that came up in the mix was Leonard Nimoy. I, what, you mean Spock? Mr. Spock? Dr. Spock? Mr. Spock. Sorry, Mr. Spock, not Dr. Scott. The, what is actually more surprising is that he was considered, is that I only found out today, listeners, that Leonard Nimoy directed Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, Who knew? So, Who knew Leonard that? Nimoy, uh, Mr. Spock. Um, Which also came out in 1987. He wasn't available, was he? He basically turned this down to make <laughs> Three Men and a Baby because he had directed a couple of the Star Trek films at that point. And he said in his defense, he said he wasn't comfortable doing a a hardcore action film. He was he wanted to do a, a comedy. So yes, he did uh, one of the was that one of the the bigger grossing films that yeah, year? gross more yeah yeah. Um, so there you go yeah, Mr. Spock, Leonard Nimoy himself almost directed uh, Lethal Weapon. So it eventually came to uh, Richard Donner. And again, we've we've talked about Richard Donner in the past. Uh, he of the Omen, the Superman uh, one and two, and that's what you were talking about in terms of directors' cuts. Absolutely, yeah. Um, when we cover Superman 2 we will be covering the Richard Donner cut I'm pretty sure yes yes definitely or the Donner kebab as George likes to call it the Donner kebab well that's no I refer to the Donner kebab because he's had such a varied um, film career and if yeah if you said to someone that wasn't a a film fan um, the same guy directed the Goonies Superman Superman. the movie and Lethal Weapon they'd say get the fuck out of here (laughs) Um, so yeah he has a very varied um you know, eclectic film uh, selection. And so, yeah, he came on board and he admits, and whilst we sort of talk about, you know, Shane Black being a wonder kid, um, Richard Donner is quite frank in saying no matter how many drafts Shane Black did, it was still too dark for his liking. So he brought on Jeffrey Bohm. That sounds familiar. Who we talked about in Lost Boys. So he came and did the redrafts when Joel Schumacher came on board uh, to make Lost Boys more sexy, teen-friendly. Sexy. Sexy, (laughs) sexy, teen-friendly. So Jeffrey Bohm came on board and he lighted it up. He made it a little bit less violent. Um, A bit more sexy. A little bit more Spanish guitar. Yeah, a little bit more (laughs) sexy. I don't think he had involvement with the music, Charlie, but never mind. Um, (laughs) Murta walks on screen. Sexy. Phone, release saxophone release saxophone and bone was also brought back so shane black uh, also uh, wrote had first dibs on the lethal weapon 2 script and he wrote that with warren murphy but again jeffrey bone came on board and lightened it up shane black script was just too dark and in shane black script he was going to kill off riggs in Lethal Weapon 2. Shoot him, shoot him, Sam. He dies in the end. That was basically Black's pitch. Skip to the end, he Skip dies. To, he d- dies, dies in the, the end. end. Guy, the bad guy with a gun kills him. So, yeah, that is the sort of the, the whole uh, script genesis. As we've said, I don't know if it's worth talking about uh, Shane Black's obsession with Christmas. I was going to say that because uh, I think I read a, some interview or something or maybe you told me about him saying it's it's a great time to set movies and I was like... Iron Man 3, it was another film. It came out, what, March, April time, set at Christmas. Yeah. I haven't got a problem with it being set at Christmas. I've got a problem with the Christmas film coming out in the middle of the year. Yes, it's it's very And also it's, California where you can't tell it's Christmas. It's not postcard Christmas. It's not, it's not snow. snow. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's 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 weird to. It's like when they play like a Friends or a Chris or a Simpsons episode. When we watch Neighbours when we were younger, you know the Australian yeah, soap. Right. When's it ever? It's Christmas. It's like how are we supposed oh, to tell? Never, never snows in Australia, mate. Exactly. So yeah, he ha- definitely has a uh, Shane Black. It is one of his sort of uh, calling cards. Uh, I don't know if you would call it that, but yeah, he essentially says, you know, Christmas. It's it is a time it brings people together. It's a time where people are reflective, and it's fun. It's uh, so yes, Lethal Weapon set at Christmas. Uh, what Did else he have he- anything to do with Die Hard? No, he did not have. Uh, he, Joel, Joel Silver. Joel, Joel Silver did. I think is Last Boy Scout set at Christmas. Yep. Uh, Long Kiss Goodnight obviously is Iron Man Three, as you've touched on, and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Well, there you go. There you go. So yeah, that's uh, that's the production stuff. Shall we move on to casting? I think this is going to be interesting. So yeah, let's do casting, and then we'll do because first, we're going to our talk, own first. We're memories. going to talk about casting, but obviously, calm down, dear listeners. I'm not going to go into coulda, woulda, shoulda. There are some good coulda, woulda, shoulda, but we'll leave that till the end. But again, some more crossover. So the casting director for this was Marion Doherty, who we've talked about last episode. Uh, did Lost, Lost Boys, Boys yeah. but she also did spotting talent. Also did casting for Batman. So I think she must be in the employ of Warner Brothers. And she was the uh, the first person that suggested teaming up Mel Gibson with Danny Glover. So whilst there was several people considered for, for both roles, uh, I think Mel Gibson was really hot then. Um, and What, you mean in property or attraction? Both, both ways, dangerously hot. <laughs> and that's even before his hairstyle was created. Yeah. So, um, but importantly, in Black Script, Murtaugh had no, there was no set ethnicity in the script. So when Doherty suggested to Donna, oh, what about Danny Glover? He was like, but he's black. Because it's the 80s they were allowed, they were saying yeah. things like, but he's black. And uh, Donna, you know, admits he said, you know, I, th- I thought, you know, consider myself being really liberal and, and forward thinking. So I sort of gave myself a bit of a kicking because it was, you know, I, I felt stupid because it was such a brilliant idea. Exactly. Why not? Um, so they got those two guys together. Uh, they did a script read through, and Donna said it was just seeing them do the script together. It was just magic. They found a relationship. They had that chemistry. They had the emotion. They had the laughs where you just didn't think it was possible. And it was just movie magic. It doesn't surprise me, but it's good to hear that they just gelled because that's carried through. And I think that's what they built the franchise off. It's like people want to see. It's a, and I think. Uh, not just Christmas, but I'd say Shane Black's calling card is the buddy, the buddy cop film. Not just the buddy cop film, but all of his films is about the buddy relationship. It's not well. That's it. It's, it's that banter, and it's it's a funny one when you when you when you hear that Jeffrey Bohm came in to lighten it up because Black's trademark thing is that pitter patter, that back and forth, that sharp biting dialogue. It's almost like hard boiled, you know, film noir type dialogue. And there are some key lines in this throughout. And that's what he's kind of made his thing. It's, it's his dialogue. It's almost Tarantino-esque in a way before Tarantino. Because I think you and I both love um, both the nice guys and uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang for that. The, oh, yeah. The back and forth in that, both between Val Kilmer and RGJ. And then with, um, who is it? It's um, Gosling and uh, Russell Crowe. On a complete tangent, sorry, because we've said his name, Ryan Gosling, I've worked out who he is. He is a reincarnation of Gene Wilder. 
Oh, really? Interesting. Th- I think he could redo a lot of Gene Wilder's films. That's for another podcast. Okay. So we'll cut it out. But yeah, you could you could argue, I mean, it's not really much of an argument, but Black revitalized that 80s buddy cop comedy came from Lethal Weapon. I mean, it's been sort of... Yeah, re sort of att- attempted several times since. There were uh, those two tropes going on in the eighties, wasn't it? It was the one man army and yeah. the buddy cops. And yeah, it, 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 those are the two things. And, and I think when you think of buddy cops, lethal weapon is the first thing that comes to mind in terms of that mismatched odd couple thing. Yeah, and as you say, it's the rela- it's their relationship, it's Riggs and Murtaugh's relationships that is key, that makes this film it, it step out of its genre tropes and create something. You know, it creates a franchise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I like in about all of the films with them in is that they don't seem to be trying too hard. It does seem to come naturally to them. Yeah. And Danny Clover even popped up in Maverick. Yes. That no, brilliant cameo. Before the whole notion of shared universes, it's a lovely tick of, yeah, when he makes a cameo in Maverick and they play the, the, the Spanish guitar. They play the Spanish over. guitar. He's a bank robber and he comes or, out. Or is it the saxophone? It might be the saxophone. It's definitely, I'm not sure if I can't tell yeah. the difference, but, and he does come out with his, his tagline mm. of, Um, so yeah, interestingly, both uh, stars were playing older than uh, their their actual age. So uh, Gibson was thirty, but his role is around supposed to be around thirty eight. Murtaugh, as we know, is celebrating his fiftieth birthday. I thought he looked. Yeah, I was like, he looks. I think that was. He, the, well, Danny Glover's always looked old. He's a bit like Gene Hackman. He hasn't aged like terribly, but he's always looked old in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's because obviously when you discovered him, but I think... But uh, well, he basically he was only, uh, he was 40 when he did this. Well, I don't know if you relate to it, but I was definitely thinking that, watching this thinking, wow, you know, obviously with us both being parents now, it's just that it must be, it didn't, we were looking at the bang, bang, catch the bad guys now, but there's really this thing, about, there's, we'll get to it later, but this thing about his ki- his kids being threatened and, and then looking at him going, so how old is he meant to be? He's meant to be yeah. 50. I was like, he looks good. He looks good. He looks, he looks really good. <laughs> he wasn't 50. And obviously we have, for every hero, you need a good villain. And as you say, Mr. Joshua. Good afternoon, Mr. Mendez. Yeah, how you doing? Would you pat him down, Mr. Larch? Oh, hey man, we went through this act already. Go through it again. Who are you? That's hardly important, but if it matters, you may call me Mr. Joshua. Let's go. Release Gary Busey. Release Crazy Busey. So we've talked about Busey on Point Break, but at this time, he was in a bit of a a career funk, and uh, he claims this is the the role that sort of revitalized, picked his career up. And uh, he said he'd, he'd never played a bad guy before this and he'd been like out of shape. So he lost loads of uh, weight and even dyed his hair like that, you know, electric blonde. So Gary Busey's been in other films other than Point Break in this. Under Siege. Of course, of course, <laughs> of course. How can one uh, No, but as I, I think he did it. It was a bit, a big surfing film. It was a big Wednesday he did in the, in the 70s and he did the Buddy Holly story. Uh, of so, course. But yeah, I think this was the, the role that made him rent a bad guy. Right. And they said that he just, they wanted a sort of formidable foe for, for Mel Gibson. And they thought that in terms of, because he's quite, he's quite a big guy and he's quite imposing. The man's obviously crazy. Well, I, I thought the, the rest of the cast, I didn't know them. They kind of had fair, you know, fair plate. And there's obviously are the, um, 
the rest of the cast of Die Hard. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's Kim Young, who's the famous... Al, Al Young. Al Young, who actually has lines. Who actually has lines. You've got the police psychiatrist, yeah. uh, Mary Ellen something. Um, Agent Johnson. Grand L. Bush. Yeah. Um, the angry police captain, I think, I can't remember his name, but he's also the angry police captain in... Joel Silver production, Demolition Man. I was going to say, he's the guy who's doing walking exposition <laughs> with uh, God Stallone. God damn it, you're a goddamn demolition man. Yeah, he even <laughs> says the movie title. talk about first memories Ganon so yeah I mean this was just VHS uh, for us wasn't it I through and through it was it was like probably missed, missed the start and I think that goes we'll probably I think we'll go from first memories and we, we'll, probably some really bad dubbing from ITV some bad editing definitely some like editing bonehead which is like why I um, I can't remember the start of this film which we'll get to in a moment mm. uh, and that was probably from the VHS recording but I think the one thing that we'll try and get out of the way now is that when I watch this film now because one of George and I's favourite comedies which is up there with Top Secret and Airplane but probably not as well loved probably not as well loved as Top Top Secret or Airplane 1 and 2 is a film called Loaded Weapon 1 featuring Emilio Estevez and Samuel L. Jackson Whoopi Goldberg William Shatner Shatner. Tim Tim Curry Tim Curry if you like uh, comedies that parody certain films then it's uh, yeah I think it's one of the lesser seen spoof films obviously everyone's seen you know Airplane Naked Gun uh, Hot Shots but this is probably lesser seen but it's it's a lot of fun and especially if you enjoy the Lethal Weapon series obviously that's it's one of its main targets but it's, it's a, a piss take of a lot of the Hollywood action films around the Tim time Tim Curry doing an impression of Arnie at some yeah. point in it but I think you've got William Shatner just being insane um, brilliantly um, Samuel, some, Samuel Jackson oh, basic very, instinct as well basic it, instinct you've got Samuel Jackson and Emilio Estevez are very very good in it but I think one of the reasons I bring it up is one I can't stop thinking about it when I watch Lethal Weapon now yeah. uh, and second of all I think the reason we enjoyed Loaded Weapon 1 so much was because of how much love we had for the Lethal Weapon franchise yeah. I think it it allowed us to go back and revisit and to be fair to Loaded Weapon uh, they do get some of the parodies spot on yeah like the whole shoot him shoot him I'm not crazy I'll shoot you yeah. um, I'm trying to think there, there, there's the whole um, there's the gag from Lethal Weapon 2 where the, the, it's not the main character but he's trying to escape out the um, the straitjacket and he's like come on Foley give it up how long has he been doing it for two weeks yeah he's trying <laughs> to get out of the straitjacket but there's also the come on Riggs come back and see how a functional family lives don't go back to your you know <laughs> so it's, it's very much on the nose but it's uh, that's, that's what I think of when I start watching this film but uh, I don't know if you ever have any first memories, but I can't remember the the suicide at the beginning, and I blame I blame some TV recording scheduling. For that. Yeah. yeah, no, I um, you and I were chatting about this earlier, and again, I don't know if it's a bit like the the Rambo t- uh, First Blood Part Two thing. There's sort of the kind of the memories of Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon Two kind of merged together for me. But I remember us we definitely watched the second one a lot more, and I don't know if that's because it's more action, more jokes. It was more t- new. Yeah. yeah it was more recent I think I think that's I think that's what it comes down to is obviously there's the same argument for uh, you know like you talk about the originals always the best like we talked mm. about Rambo recently and 
you know, we've said it obviously with The Matrix, Indiana Jones, you know, there, there are some originals which are clearly the best, but there are others where, for me, I think it's probably about the age and about how recent it was, but I always have a lot more love for the second one than I do the first. I, got, I get the feeling that the first leaves you wanting to see more of this franchise, more of this partnership, and I feel like the second one gives you everything that yeah. you want to see. And then, as I say, we're not really going to spend too much time on sequels, but then, yeah, we've talked about... Oh, no, that deserves it, its own episode. It, 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 but it, it also, the franchise tips over, it leans more on the comedy as the, the series goes on. And I remember you and I going to see the fourth one with Jet Li. That's um, where Jet Li kicks his slippers at people. And which which I've done before. It's quite a good good uh, defense good, mechanism. It gives you a few seconds yeah. before you've got to go to um, a harder weapon. But yeah, it's not a terrible film if we look at other sort of franchises with belated you know fourth installments <coughs> Indiana Jones that sort of thing um, it's not terrible but it's uh, it's you know I can't it's, remember it, much of it apart from him having a, a laser dot on his gun yeah no you've got obviously they introduced Chris Rock you've got Joe Pesci really like really ramping up the annoying Joe Pesci-ness and it's just too much. They they are dialing There's up. There's too many characters. There's too many star- characters. There's too much. Russo's in it the, again. Yeah, well, that, that's it. And I think... Continue that storyline. Again, the third one, uh, we had a lot of fun. I remember growing up enjoying that as a family, which is quite odd watching yeah. it because, yeah, I, I remember... Um, our sister Sophia had a big crush on Mel Gibson. I think Mum did as well. I mean, he was, you know, he was kind of dreamy back then, you know. And I think the thing that annoyed me most about the fourth one was Mel Gibson getting rid of the mullet. I think if you put all of the movie posters like next to each other and you just do a progression over the years, you'll see the mullet just sort of shrinking, shrinking. And then it's just removed. There's like not even a milli, there's not even a mini early 90s type mullet. You know, like we're not sure, is that a mullet? Or yeah. is it just, is it shoulder hair? Yeah, it just, it just, it just, it just took me out of the whole equation. Yeah, I just couldn't it connect d- with him. Just didn't find it realistic anymore. It wasn't enough wish fulfillment. <laughs> so well, let's get let's jump into the film, George. So, as, so as, you've as, talk, as, talked about the opening. Well, just just I completely <sighs> forgot about. But it. how do we know it's a Christmas movie? Uh, is it because everyone's doing coke? No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the it, snow I was everywhere. gonna. I was gonna say it opens with Jingle Bell Rock, but right, yeah, okay. you know, whatever. You know, that is, no, that is kind of hitting it hard. But no, I, I, I totally. I was asking myself, did they cut this scene massively because there's there's a bit too much nipple? It, it's it's all it's it's typical eighties tropes. You've got boobs, completely, you know, unnecessary, Unnes- unnecessary boobs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, boobs, coke, yeah, Christmas music. Um, I'm sure I've heard those sleigh bells somewhere before. Oh, is that... Those, sin- those sinister sleigh bells. It's Michael Kamen on the score. The same man that did Die Hard. I've made a note of that, saying it's very Road Die House. Hard. Okay. Licensed to Kill. I thought you were going to say Licensed to Drive. <laughs> Possibly Licensed <laughs> to Drive. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite a... Oh, it's obviously a dramatic opening. You don't know where you're going with this film. It's not. It, it takes a while to before you realise well, what type of film it's going to be. And that whole that whole suicide. It's obviously it's not a dreamy dream sequency. But the it's quite a slow reveal of why it's happened, isn't it? It doesn't. Well, you don't know. You it looks like it's made to look. It's as I say, the the film unfolds before your eyes. It's that. Mm. To, at the beginning it's positioned and it's shot to look like a suicide and it's 
later on you're told in the narrative that it wasn't but you you're seeing it through the eyes of the camera and it's the same with deceiving you yes it's stringing you along but that's what i mean i think what's interesting a lot of action films uh or this would be called i guess an an action thriller yeah it it does keep you guessing for at Mm. least uh throughout and obviously we've watched this film many many times we know where it's going we know what's going to happen but the first time yeah you'd be like there's a lot of stakes yeah like where's it going what's happening so then we get to uh, we're introduced to our characters. I can't remember who do we get first. Do we get Murtar with his family? Yeah, we get the whole sort of. Well, Murtar's called to the case. No, no, but Murtar's he's, he's celebrating his birthday. He's in the bath. Yeah, all the it's, I love my family. You know, family so much to lose. Family banter, looking a bit old. Get rid of the beard. Yeah. And then in contrast, we've got Riggs. You know, burnt out loser in his trailer completely cray cray just not cray 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 in the buff as well obligatory (laughs) but in the moonlight unnecessary obligatory but in the moonlight walk yeah so he is completely crazy just not crazy enough to shoot himself um but we haven't got to that yet oh sorry we haven't got to that yet so but what I've noticed is that Riggs and Murtaugh have their own musical jingles sort of like Star Wars sort of like Star Wars but I mean we've obviously they've got their own theme music we've we've touched on it in um in our last episode, our our love, or mainly my love, of saxophone. More sax. But, but there's a lot of sax in this, and it seems to be Murtos theme, is it? Yeah, no, because he's got the sax. It's sort of like uh, yin and yang, yeah. salt and pepper. So he's got the saxophone, and Riggs has got the Spanish guitar. Which was performed guitar. by none other than Eric Clapton. I thought you were going to say Sting. But yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I'd love to tell you that the saxophone was by our man, Tim Capel. Who Let's did just say it was sexy sax on Lost Boys, but it wasn't. How do you know it wasn't? I've looked it up. <laughs> uh, it was a guy called David Sanborn. Um, but yes, the guitar, the uh, the lethal weapon, you know, sort of guitar part was yes performed by none other than Eric Clapton. I remember seeing that in the credit. That's actually mentioned in the opening credits. Yes, it is. But then we get to again. I think sometimes Riggs has several introduction scenes. So we've got the the sort of loner, but we've got the Christmas tree scene, which is a good scene. Undercover cop. Undercover cop. Which is reminiscent of Beverly Hills Cop as well. Yes, yes, the opening of that. Similar to that, because Beverly Hills Cop 2 came out the same year as this. Right. And and was the highest grossing film this year. Um, So, yeah, you've got, you know... I've got a question, though. Is Mel Gibson's character supposed to be crazy in this? I'm not not entirely sure. I'm not sure. Is it referred to? Uh, Drinking game for this film is the word crazy. Shoot me, shoot me, do it, do it, do it, do it, shoot him, shoot he him. He is, he's, got, he's a man with nothing to lose. He's, 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 he's a loose cannon. He's, you know, everything. So there's a, uh, so one of the guys, you know, the guys, one of the drug dealers in that scene, there's a guy wearing the, the black and red check shirt, the, yeah. the guy that's holding Mel Gibson hostage. Uh, he, familiar? He is a blackie dammit, uh, real name John Kiedis. Father of Anthony Kiedis Red of, Hot Chili Peppers. of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So yeah, there's some random trivia for you there, but that's all I've got for that scene. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, very. It is, re- but Beverly Hills Cop starts with him taking down some truck of stolen goods. Yes, it, it does, but it doesn't have him. You know, shoot me. Go on, do it. Do it. Do it. 
shows how much of a maverick renegade Riggs really is. There's a lot of exposition about how cray cray he is. It's like there's too much exposition. Actually, well, if you think like how many times is it discussed, he talks about it. He, like, he talks about it to the criminals at the start. Yeah. Then we have the captain and the and the psychologist talking about how he's crazy. Yeah. Then we have Murtock telling him that he's crazy. Then you have Riggs saying. I'm actually crazy. I'm not crazy. And then, you really are crazy. And then at the end, he says, I'm not actually crazy. I just want people to think I'm crazy. So it is like a, it's his character arc. Yes. Um, but you, you do have that. Um, we've talked about the attempted suicide scene. And I think that is, you know, Mel Gibson gets a lot of shit. Like more so. In Say whatever from, you want, sugar tits. Yeah. More so because of his recent behavior in the past sort of 10 20 years but he was and it showed that why he was a man in demand he's a brilliant actor and that presence and that scene shows it that that su- attempted suicide scene is phenomenal acting where he's got the gun against his head you know it's it's great tension it's great music and apparently they they filmed it in two takes but um Gibson kept saying he wanted to like film it at a certain time. He kept saying he wasn't ready to do it yet. So I think they filmed it towards the end of production. This but is the opening scene. Well, the bit where he's got the gun against his head. Yeah. So I think that's no. I think that's after the. Um, oh, you mean more like when he's by himself? Yeah. yeah okay. he's, he's loading the gun. He's got the you know. The I get the feeling. Maybe I remember this differently, but he does that a lot. Isn't that part of his character thing? He's like, I keep, I keep saying I'm going to do it because he yeah, doesn't do it because he's got a he's got a bullet that he's. I don't know what the technical term is. It, it escapes me at the moment, but you know, like where they cut it. And so it's... Uh, oh, to, to a hollow point. Yeah. So it'll like still blow the back of his head out. So it'll yeah. do a proper job. But so he's been like deliberating it for some time. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because it kind of, I think this film in contrast to when we're talking about First Blood was obviously about the traumas and the horror of Vietnam and how America dealt with it. I think apart from this suicide scene it kind of glamorizes this the whole film glamorizes vietnam they're well, both it's more that if you've been in nam then you've got you're a hard ass you're a hard ass you've got special forces you've got special weapons training yeah. and people owe you stuff you save people's lives and and stuff and like that, that what makes you a goddamn hero and that's why you're a policeman because i just hate crime so we uh, we do get the uh, the scene where Riggs and Murtaugh meet, um, and there's that brilliant line from Murtaugh's uh, colleague where 80s men cry and share their feelings and shit. Yeah. Last night, I cried just by myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And yes, as we've said, you've got um, some diehard alumni there. So we've got Grandel Bush, mm-hmm. uh, the very brilliantly named Grandel Bush, who is obviously would go on to play the, one of the Agent Johnsons in Die Hard. And Mary Ellen uh, Trainer, who is the police psychologist. The he, man is suicidal. Yeah, the man is suicidal. He shouldn't be put on the, on the pay. He shouldn't be in, in a job. But yeah, some brilliant exposition from her. And there's even some more glorious exposition uh, in the car park with Danny Lovegood. I pulled your file. I just love it when they do that in films. Nam, martial arts, jujitsu. It's not the only time that it's said in this film. Because, what, pulling a file? No, because Mr. Joshua says it's again, I pulled his file. But where, Special where forces, the, where, where are all where, these files? Where are they pulling these files from? But they, that's what, it's also, you. It's, it's in so many films from this era of like mid to early 90s. And it's either like, I pulled his file mm-hmm. or I pulled his jacket. 
Yeah. That's another slang. And there's some lovely uh, gun comparing in the car park scene. Seriously, what do you got? Got to yeah, yeah. a coat. And yeah. it was such an 80s thing. It's sort of like, yeah, what well, you got there? Oh, you know, the, oh, Beretta. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got yourself a reliable six-shooter. Guns, guns, guns. Guns, guns, guns. Um, and he says the title, doesn't he? I suppose we should register some kind of a lethal weapon. Yeah. Buzzword. Buzzword. Not crazy. Lethal yeah. weapon. And the captain... Is sitting in the background going, I remember when I used to announce the movie title. <laughs> but there is, um, there's some great dialogue. I say, like, um, one line that stuck out for me when like uh, Danny Glover's getting really pissed off and he's like God hates me and uh, Gibson goes hate him back works for me yeah yeah and he's blowing smoke out like a giant yeah. it's like he's just Riggs is just dying inside but um, you know we've obviously introduced the heroes we need to introduce Mr. Joshua the villains you want to see tough? I'll show you tough. <laughs> How tough is Mr. Joshua? Well, he's wearing a fake arm. That's for one <laughs> thing. <laughs> or or the, 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 the flame is just behind his arm. It's some really funny camera. And work. some in, very intense staring at the camera. Yeah. I mean... <gasps> and some good sound work. And Boosie does, you know, some, some good crazy because... He is crazy. He is actually clinically insane. <laughs> he is in real life. Self confessed. But he is he's brilliant in this. He's He's brilliant in everything. He's Gary Busey for this. That's true. But he is very he does a very good bad guy. Yeah. Menacing. It's not a side to him that you see enough of. Yeah. Very intense. Um and so we are um there's also some a nice bit of self promotion we have when um Riggs and Murtar are getting a hot dog on the cinema in the background. The Lost Boys, this year's hit. Oh, I did not. Uh, did I notice that? No, but there is a few other self-referencing things. Uh, There's get, a lethal weapon poster on the wall. No, you're thinking of Demolition Man. No, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> hey, no. we're, we're on the wall. <laughs> when are we going to get to the bit where... Um, well, you said, I pulled your file. Well, he when he finds out about Mr. Joshua... He was flying, he was working for the CIA for Air America. Yes, which, that is Which mentioned. I'm guessing was a Joel Silver production I, featuring Mel Gibson, because he made the film. But that was that hadn't happened yet. No, no, it came later. later. It bought, I, don't think I think it it's just because well. it's a great story, the whole Air America yeah. uh, story. I think I've seen it. Storyline. Is that Danny Jr.? No. Uh, is that his could, partner? Maybe. Maybe. We're not doing Air America. Calm the fuck no, down. No, okay. So, pull, um, <laughs> all, pull the Air America file. <laughs> all roads lead to Nam. Um, Lots of, well, to go back to another Gary Busey, tell Nam stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of Nam references. It's the one thing that links them because he's heard of, he's heard of Joshua and he's heard of Riggs because they were kind of legends in Legends in of Nam. And that's why Merton, Hunter, Michael <laughs> I think we're getting into a um, suspicious spin-offs territory here. Uh, are we skip past the, the jumper scene? No, we, we've just got up to it. Uh, You're crazy, man. You're crazy. Yeah, we don't need, we don't know why that guy's jumping, is it? Is it I, I kept thinking it was Robert Davi. Yeah, I thought, is he going to die? Yeah, the other Agent Johnson. That, but but he wouldn't be so he wouldn't be so pathetic because Robert Davi only has one thing, and that's smooth. There's there's only two things you notice from this jumper scene, and one is which I'm guessing is for health and safety. The first is they're not handcuffed 
when they jump because he handcuffs uh, him. Are they just holding hands? Or and then no, no. And then hands? when they jump, they're not even holding hands. Ah. So the first thing, yeah, I thought, oh, maybe they're holding hands. So the first thing you notice is one, they're not handcuffed, and two, that's not Mel Gibson. <laughs> Once again, were you watching it in HD? Yeah, maybe for uh, health and safety, they weren't allowed to be handcuffed. But the thing I was thinking, no mullets, uh, no in, mullets were put at risk. Is like we've seen this so many times, but imagine watching that for the first time because the whole reveal with them jumping and landing on the inflatable thing is a complete surprise. Yeah, you don't know it's there, but you've seen it so many times. Like, oh yeah, now they're going to do the jump. And I think there's a lot about this film. You know, I was saying before, uh, the, you know, there's you, what, how it's there's the slow reveal of where it's going like he arrives on the site everyone thinks it's a suicide it comes out later that it's not a suicide that it's mm. part of a drug ring and then as you say there's a lot I think that, not really the benefit of hindsight but you forget you know the effect this film would have had the first time because I think the second film had a had had an impact on me and I, th- I thought it was your, quite your, dark your fear of South Africans yeah and and, and not know, and knowing what I could get away with all I had to do was become an ambassador of a com- country <laughs> and I could basically <laughs> start my own drug ring and kill people um, no but yeah I just remember that as being it's funny they are they are much darker the first the first two films but yeah I think this, this would this is why it became the franchise it was a very good action thriller a very good cop story yeah, and there's there's certain things that make it very like feel very lethal weapony. I don't know how to explain. It. It's almost like there's there's that jeopardy. There's that you, whilst there is like moments of mindless violence, it always seems with with Riggs and Murtaugh there is a consequence of the people that they're killing. It's sort of like they're trying not to because they are cops. They're not just action heroes that will blow anyone away. I will do. I'm do. I do it for the job. Do I just hate crime it is almost like that they are kind of just like out and out cops um so so mel's jumped with the jumper and uh so we have some more rigs uh sorry murtar testing you really are crazy go do it pull the trigger have him take my gun shoot him <laughs> shoot him yeah there's a lot of cray cray talk no no put it under the chin might miss <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yes, more. I guess you call it they're forming their relationship. Yeah, but they do. Um, they do have some great banter. And I say we, we've touched on the fact that that is the strength of the franchise is that they're back and forth. The, the whole yeah. The, I was going to say that um, that pool scene where they go to like try and arrest the guy and he shoots him and falls into the pool and they're trying to save him but he's wrapped up in the sheeting and stuff that feels very sort of lethal weapon lethal weapon I don't know how to explain it but it's, it is maybe like maybe it's a camera work yeah and then and the music the music is very like, dun, in it. Dun, yeah dun. It's, it's very, very diehard kind of as well very diehard very roadhousey as well <laughs> um but then we get to save, uh, get some more time at home with the Murtars. Come and see how a normal family lives. The warmth and love of real family. Don't you hit on my daughter? <laughs> um, but yes, you've got some uh, some great, you know, time with with the family. The fact that yeah, the daughter is obsessed with uh, with Riggs. Um, there's the one line that stuck out for me. She's being grounded for smoking pot, but she goes, "It's not coke, you know." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Coke's bad. Coke, okay. Coke's bad. Um, there's also uh, some uh, foreshadowing for for Lethal Weapon Two. There's a, a sticker on the fridge in the Murtaugh's kitchen about uh, apartheid. Is there? Yes, oh. and apparently uh, Donna got lots of uh, 
death threats and aggressive mail about that because he is openly against apartheid at the time. He's like, well, screw you guys. I'm going to make it a key theme of the second film. So there's a lot of people not happy about this. Going to milk it. Going to milk it. And we get some more Nam stories from Riggs, him being an amazing sniper. Whoa, it's fantastic. So he, I don't know, 10 guys in the world could have made that shot. Guns, guns, guns. Guns, guns, guns. So, um, yeah, Roger's on his boat. His reti- is it his retirement boat? I don't know. It doesn't, it's not in the water. D- just, just makes him more of a family man. Yeah. Uh, Riggs goes home, family asleep. Roger puts on some porn, but it's for research. Research, yeah. <laughs> Research. <laughs> I thought it was a very no, old... No, no. Darling, what are you doing? It's for work. <laughs> it's for work, baby. Well, why is that saxophone playing as well? <laughs> Soundtrack, baby. Yeah, so he's forced to watch some, <laughs> some amateur porn for the case. For the and case. does he crack the case from watching the porn? I think so. I think so. <laughs> Hunsaker. Oh, but before we get to uh, the Hunsaker funeral, whose funeral is it? yours um <laughs> we get what i've put down as a classic 80s trope we've got to go to a gun range how many 80s films feature a gun range so we've obviously done 87 a robocop yeah gun range beverly hills cop 2 check is there one in red heat maybe yep yeah you've got that enormous gun yeah it's a desert desert eagle desert eagle yeah you don't get enough scenes in uh, gun ranges these days i think that's what's missing missing it but yeah something for me just screamed out like why the 80s really loved a gun range well they're trying to sell lots of guns now everyone has guns but how do we make it sexy how do we make it sexy? now how do we reinforce you know we've said that Riggs is a really good shot crack shot well how do we amplify it we do it with it i mean it is a great little uh little bit it's a scene where he's like keeps pushing it further and further away and I oh, know it's, it's 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 and I've noticed they've actually made that uh, the DVD case or slip cover on some of the scenes is that the target with the smiley face I think what's good about that is you see the two sides of the the cops you've got you know the old uh, you've got Danny Glover's character he's got he's got his, his, his dirty his, Harry his magnum yeah he's got and he's got a shot and he's in, and he gets to have his moment showing that off but then you've got Riggs who's the you know these fly boys the young buck yeah uh, who's obviously talented and they are a lethal weapon. Is he, is he the lethal weapon? That's we can, can we talk about the title? Because they do say it in the film. So is it that Riggs is the lethal weapon? Or well, I like to think... Or is it his Beretta is the lethal weapon? No, it's well, Riggs. I hope it's, it's Riggs. No, I, no, is like, it his mullet? I want, I'll, I'll get to that. I'd like to think romantically that it's, that it's the pair of them together are a lethal weapon. But then they didn't call the sequel Lethal Weapons. So Missed, missed out a trick there. Yeah. Or lethal weaponing. Or lethally weaponed. No, lethal, that doesn't work. No, no. Anyway, um, so we get some more brilliant exposition. So we're at the Hunsaker funeral. So the, the girl that committed suicide, I'm doing air quotes. I'm not doing air quotes. But it's her funeral. Laura. And, and they've, they've decided that's perfect time to grill Michael Hunsaker about his involvement with this whole drug operation shadow company yeah it's very strange yeah because they are uh, it's a very strange scene because it's a beachside funeral i think it's it's a funeral but he's sort of yeah oh come inside i'll tell you the whole thing what what has the funeral happened or i think maybe everyone's i'd like to think everyone's waiting they're waiting on (laughs) it everyone's waiting i've just got to make my confession i'm and um, then I've got to get shot by a guy in a helicopter. <laughs> where does that helicopter come from? Because Rig, is Riggs outside? Or is it, yeah, 
Riggs is smoking outside. Riggs, smoking is bad. Riggs, You'll get killed by an assassin in a helicopter. But it's just like, yeah, <laughs> just a, the, Mr. Joshua pops up. Hello. And just as he's, but he's made sure, made sure that he's told them everything. Yeah. And Mr. Joshua knows he's told them everything. Um, uh, yeah, but, so it's it's on the coast of, uh, and I'm sure it features, I just feel like I've seen this, this, uh, this coastline. Ic- iconic. I think it is an iconic place because yeah. it's popped up in, uh, I think it's like used as a retreat in, at the very end of Mad Men, you know, uh, okay. you know, like where he yeah, goes yeah. to that retreat. And it's also featured in Dead to Me, uh, which is more recently on Netflix, which I very much enjoyed that. Someone, when they, re- someone else recommended that to me. Oh, no, recently. it's brilliant. I highly recommend that. Very, very interesting. And that starts with a, at a what I guess is a dealing with, uh, you know, lost loved yeah. ones. And that shot, and it looks like the same place. Yeah. So I guess... It's a, I mean, we're kind reaching of, here. Kind of a big it's deal. It's probably a really famous cemetery in California that we're just not aware of. Um, so, yeah, so Shadow Company is the is the NAM outfit that... Not they, suspicious. We're that, just going to call it Shadow Company. Shadow Company, and they start... It starts sort of shipping guns, and then it becomes contraband from, and drugs. I think all roads lead to NAM. And NAM and drugs, because it's the 80s. Yeah. But interestingly, Shadow Company, uh, the name, is uh, the, the title of Shane Black's first script, which, which is a, an action zombie horror movie about a group of dead U.S. special forces always special forces it's a buddy film um, <laughs> it's a zombie well, buddy no, it, it sounds a bit like universal soldiers so it's about a special forces soldiers who died during Vietnam uh, years later their bodies are brought back and they come back uh, as unstoppable zombies does sound a lot like universal, universal. but at one point apparently it was almost made into a film uh, by John Carpenter starring Kurt Russell yes that would have been more but, but but it never got made sadly um, so yes that's that's a bit of sort of inline trivia there that was that was the first script that got him noticed and then got him the writing gig for Lethal Weapon Back to the funeral. So Hunsucker's been killed. His, Just his, before divulging all the crucial information, he's been popped off. Uh, through, through, through the carton of eggnog. Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that brings us to, we're basically at the, the kidnapping scene. They got my daughter. I was talking about stakes at the beginning. You know, it's like, what could possibly go wrong with this beautiful family of Roger Myrtle? Beautiful, beautiful family. And yeah, it's it's a pretty much, it's a quite a compact sort of final act. I've sort of been trying to split out you know what's first out what's second out but this you know pretty much from that whole Hudsucker funeral assassination type thing it's then all sort of pretty much all guns blazing well yeah I I would say looking back obviously because we quite strangely we both watched this film Separately, so in different cities. I was in France. George was obviously in the UK. Somewhere in the UK. So I have no idea where he was. Possibly we, on a train. But thanks to the beauty of WhatsApp, um, we watched this at the same time, didn't we? We did. I think I was about <laughs> half an hour ahead of you. I was just like, oh my God, so much sax. You are like, I'm watching it as well. <laughs> it's too much guitar. Um, yeah, and I think I felt 
the watching it then just recently uh it was much more about their relationship you know as i said before it unfolds you don't know what's going on with these two characters it's like everyone uh george was saying to me that the back of the dvd case for lethal weapon looks oh. like it's been what was it written <laughs> by a committee it's it's really something else it's puntastic and it's like mad he's 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 not a mad max he's a crazy cop or something yeah um, it's like edge of your seat roller coaster ride yeah and oh. it's it, it, it basically gives a backstory for everybody on the back of the dvd case but i think rather than what that dvd case does the film is very mu- is much more subtle so i think it's more like you discover they establish their relationship they establish their characters what are they good at they establish the bad guys and then as you say so it's it's one of those films where it feels like it may be a very short act one mm. a, a baggy act and then maybe baggy act, back, act two I, I, and no, then a very fast i wouldn't say the um the not baggy, but bagger. you know what i mean but yeah. long, longer yeah i mean it's yeah it's, it's sort of them sort meteor of, it's them it's being detective it's them working the case essentially um but it is a very lean film i mean i think it is even though it's like it's a two-hour job isn't it it's always just, just shy under, of just shy yeah. of yeah it's now a 50 um, but yeah, as I say, this like final bit you've got, obviously his daughter's been uh, kidnapped. You've got the bit where they think they've killed Riggs and yeah. in classic uh, 80s trope, back in the time when we thought a bulletproof vest could stop anything, he shot at close range with a shotgun. Yeah. But it's like, it's fine, I've got my bulletproof vest on. There's no shrapnel goes in his face. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and they shoot him in the what, chest. What if he aimed for the head? Yeah, what if he did aim for the head? <laughs> Sorry, I can't keep... Going back to that dumb and dumb quote. <laughs> what if I shot you in the face? <laughs> that was a chance we were willing to take. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so, but you've got, uh, I love, um, again, it's that sort of, that what I'm calling uh, Donna magic of that, the desert, the face off in the desert. You've got that cinematography of, you know, the sweeping aerial shots. You've yeah. got the ramped up Michael Kamen score. Just yeah. going nuts. He doesn't know. It, there's not a time. It's not a time for saxophone. He's obviously got two pals like, nope, no, not my sax tapes. No. I've just got some guitar. I've got some extreme guitar. I've got evil jingle bells. No, it, okay. it's, it's definitely not diehard, but it's close. Um, and some brilliant editing as well. Um, I love that scene. Even now, going back I can remember it being the highlight back then yeah. and I was looking forward to watching it this time I didn't know why but I just think it's it's done very realistically it's done you know you've got him not wanting to take risk but he's like well we can't deal with it because what are they going to do yeah. they're, they're cops they know what happens to a kidnappee they know they know that this is not going to there's no way that this that he's going to get his daughter back unless they take action but it's it's very high stakes because it's just like oh yeah we've got an ace up our sleeves because they think Riggs is dead but yeah. there's loads of goons there and I'm pretty sure I saw one of the goons long-haired goons from Die Hard I don't know if it's Marco or Tony but it's it's <laughs> one of them Carl Carl or, or maybe um, yeah uh, Fritz I don't know but yeah that, that quickly goes into obviously they, they're outnumbered outgunned yeah but Riggs takes out quite a few guys but he doesn't take out Mr. Joshua yeah it's not even a sniper rifle sorry Charlie with his gun test I play play a lot of gun games a lot of gun it's games it's yeah it's a semi-automatic rifle just with a ve- it's got a sniper sight on it but it's but you know why because Riggs is good yeah Riggs is good is that good I think it's a, called an FAL rifle for all you gun nuts out there okay then we've got the torture scene where we get yeah, our favourite henchman from, from Die Hard, Al Young, and also in uh, Big Trouble in Little China, amongst other films. Yeah. Gets a line, as we said earlier. Gets a line. Uh, Mel says, who's the chin? Uh, Mel showing his true colours. He would later <laughs> reveal in real life. <laughs> Slightly um, racist. That's not slander that he was <laughs> pulled up for being very racist. 
But uh, the one thing in those scenes that really sort of shined was we've talked about how brilliant um, Mel Gibson is as an actor. Um, um, and he's, he's a brilliant racist as well. We'll cut that out. <laughs> um, but um, how good an actor Danny Glover is in those scenes where he's like begging for his life, he's begging for his daughter's life. That really hits hard. Yeah. Where he's like, he's basically, <laughs> it's like spit and dribble, like, leave that down alone. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's really heartfelt. And it's, um, you know, you can see why he's he's a brilliant actor. And I, I speaking of which, I um, the other week I re- revisited after few years i watched predator 2 and God, you know, yeah, I, was, I wanted to talk about that when we were talking about him because uh i think i was i was gonna wait until we do it and could have would have should have because i can't see anybody else playing this role and yeah he's very thespian you know he's mm. got but i can't he's obviously color purple uh you know he's known for this but interestingly he i just don't feel like he's done an, but then there's predator 2 i just don't feel like he's done enough but he has done a lot yeah and he's now doing more sort of i think comedy films so i see he's, he's cropped up in the jumanji sequel and he obviously was in um i did not know that he's in uh, the royal tenenbaums yes and he's a really ni- lovely character in that but yeah very so un- maybe he has uh, done enough no, but he's just no, he's not- very un- i'd still say he's underrated you know yeah um i mean obviously he's had this is probably his biggest role Maybe he's just not greedy. No, he's just yes. happy. Maybe he's become Roger Myrtle. He's got a family. Got a family. So, yeah, we've got the end. We've got, um, well, we think he's got, so the, the Riggs escapes. Yeah. And as a result. Uh, and kills everyone in that club. <laughs> That's when he goes a bit gun happy. What do you mean War of the Mullet? <laughs> Have you not noticed that everyone in that. Well, I, it's a rock club, isn't it's, it? It's a rock club. But the way I like to think of it is because obviously Mel's got his shirt open. He's just running around with an MP5 machine gun. And, well, uh, that's because he's a loose cannon, Charlie. I don't know if anyone's tried to tell you, but the man's crazy. Yeah, he's uh, what a suicidal <laughs> nut job. Um, but no, but the one thing you notice about that scene is that you've got. it's It is, I call it War of the Mullets because everyone one he kills has a much shittier mullet than Mel and it's like only one one mullet can survive <laughs> just go back and watch it they've all seen you know it's it's an unfair fight when you look at the mullets so yeah you've got um, Mel running very fast and that's one of my sort of lasting sort of visual memories of in like, bare feet yeah Mel running down the street sprinting with the gun shirt open as you say yeah and sexy sweaty sexy sweaty Mel and then you've got Murtar versus general McAllister yeah. uh, doing his neck thing with the, yeah. the aiming that we, we still do to this day yeah just when I'm about to ha- take a shot of something yeah. normally tequila um, <laughs> and then the, uh, the the general's card like tips over and I just love that no my precious drugs and grenades <laughs> why did I leave them together <laughs> why did I put them together near the flammable oh no boom <laughs> Um, so what have you got anything to hide in the car no just drugs and grenades just, officer. just opium <laughs> grenades cocaine uh, so yeah M- Mr. Joshua brings the uh, the fight to, to home turf and uh, there's a great line you want to shut up the title and it's I, I don't know just this obviously we're talking about the scene at Roger Murtagh's house where they've caught him they've caught Mr. Joshua he's been handcuffed they can take him away they can take him away but something that is just I don't know it's so just, 80s is it eighties? Is it um, is it dramatic license? It's just this would never happen. It's like oh yeah, yeah they're going to go for it. I mean, this one's you, on me. This I've authorized it. I think let I them fight. 
to, to be fair, I think this, I don't know about you, but this sort of rings true about, I think what happens in a lot of, you hear about this happening in army scenarios yeah. where they let soldiers fight it out. Soldiers who've got a beef, they are allowed to have a, like they stand off, they but, have a fight and then people step in. It, but that but he also says, 80s. But he also says, this guy's just killed two of us. This guy's killed yeah. two of the cops. And you can al- almost imagine you know, cops are, are a bit they like protect that. their own. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And if they don't, if they if, don't protect their own, then if he's they're... killed a cop. It's a cop. A cop. Um, but yeah, and it's it's like I think the Glover does all of the um, the narrative that's required. It says this is officially Martin Riggs' arrest. He's like, in the, I got this. This is nobody's like basically saying this is just a this is just a long drawn out arrest process. Yeah. They're just having a a tete a tete, a one to one hand to hand combat in the rain with the siren, the cars upside down with and the heli- looks and amazing the, and the helicopter illuminating the fight. It looks amazing. So yeah, apparently they um they I think they. Filmed this over four nights, and is a mix. Several water sprinklers were harmed, harmed in this making. And apparently, there was a mix of three different martial arts styles. There was jujitsu, capoeira, and a fighting style I'd never heard of before called Jailhouse Rock, which is a what prison <laughs> style. Making this up? I am not making this up. This is prison pr- rules. Prison rules fighting, essentially. Right. I think it's like dirty fighting. Is that like no no hooking and no biting? No hooking, no, no gouging, <laughs> no gouging. But yeah, I love uh, the bit, you know, um, it's a bit I always remember where like he, you know, throws him the nightstick and he's like defending himself against the, uh, is it, is that a lamppost? Is Mr. Joshua using a lamppost to be? Like to, well, it's definitely not a parking meter, not in Roger Murtaugh's neighborhood. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a it's a very 80s stylized fight. Apparently they, they edited it down. It was originally in, in other cuts, much longer, much more violent, but they've, you know, pared it down a bit so i think there is a few continuity issues in that scene but it's still it's a good good fight and obviously it just makes out that these two are nam badasses but it gives you everything you want to see it's sort of like you want to see the hand hand you know the one-on-one which we see at the end of die hard 2 maybe some swords you could throw in some some some, some knives sides <laughs> they have to is, they put knives in the second one maybe how'd they get that into the backstory i'm not sure but you get to see everything you want so you get to see the fact that they catch him yeah that they do the honourable thing. But it's not enough justice. They're not going to kill him. They're just going to have a fight. And then but Riggs kicks his ass. And then he's going to go to jail. Oh, no. Oh, but wait, there's more. <laughs> and yeah, and then it's that same shaky Hang on, cam. Hang on, guys. I've got an 80s cliche book here. And it says, the bad guy that we're about to put away finds a hidden gun, mm-hmm. just like Die Hard. Yeah. And I'm sure there's something else we watched recently. It's like, oh, no, he's not dead. Yeah, kick, quick, shoot him. Shoot him. Shoot, him, shoot him in the stretcher. Yeah. yeah, there's a few films where the guy's shot when he's in the stretcher. Yeah. Kill him, kill him. Yeah, he's still alive or he's, he's got a gun. Fool's going to do it. And then, um, yeah, it's... Happily ever after. Happily ever you after. Wanna, you want to come over for Christmas dinner? And then, no, no, I don't want to come over for Christmas dinner. I just came to give you the bullet that I was going to kill myself with. Oh, right. Is that, are you sure you don't want to come for dinner? Oh, well, I was actually. I've even brought my dog. <laughs> you know, you're saying we're friends and you've given me this bullet. It's kind of made it a bit weird. <laughs> my wife says I shouldn't be spending time so with you. So do you want me to start threatening to kill myself with it? Is this if I ever want to shoot myself, you want me to use this bullet? Do you want me to shoot you? You weren't planning to come for dinner, but you brought your dog yeah. with you. Nice. Um, so yes, and then paving the way for for sequels, we will cover in later episodes. So George, that was Lethal Weapon nineteen eighty seven. I think it's time. I think we've got Jeff Goldblum wearing some gorgeous running gear. 
that he's wearing these days, and Celine Dion. It's coulda, woulda, shoulda. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So, coulda, woulda, shoulda, there's, uh, this is where we talk about alternative casting. Who was could, considered? Who was considered? Who could have got the role? Who would have? Who wanted a shot at the title? Who should have got the role? Interestingly, well, and kind of sort of it makes sense being a, a Joel Silver production, but Bruce Willis was considered for the role of Riggs, uh, but turned it down. Not cray-cray enough. And Mel Gibson was offered the role of John McClane, but turned it down. <gasps> but then they swapped. Wow. So, but as well as turning down uh, Die Hard for this, Mel Gibson uh, turned down a role uh, in The Fly. So imagine that, speaking of Jeff Goldblum, yeah. can't imagine it have that same... Cra- anybody doing The Fly. Crazy intensity as um, uh, Jeff Goldblum. And I think we touched on this in our Untouchables episode, but yeah, um, he was, uh, Mel Gibson was offered the role of Elliot Ness, but turned it oh, down for this. Yeah, I think I, I could see him take, and this is no slant against Kevin Costner, I could see Mel Gibson doing Kevin Costner roles, I couldn't see him doing Bruce Willis yeah. roles. Also, I mean, I think this is a bit of a left field one, but apparently um, Michael Bean was considered for the role of Riggs uh, after Donner had seen him in The Terminator, but he was busy filming Aliens at the mm. time because he was drafted in last minute for James Remar. So he wasn't originally, didn't get the role of, he was cast quite late in the day for the role of uh, Hicks. Say, so, Michael, we got a role for you. So what is, is he? It? Is I've, he I've, got, I've got NAM service yet. Am I still an active service? Uh, no, you're not. You're a retired cop. Not interested. <laughs> Um, for the um, but apparently um, uh, Shane Black stated he wanted William Hurt to play the role of Martin Riggs when he was writing it but studio executives said uh, Hurt was too obscure for the part which I kind of agree with Um, however there's some interesting uh, choices for the role of Mr. Joshua so James Woods (laughs) crazy in real life Um, Christopher Walken always a good bad guy uh, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Keith Carradine, and Scott Glenn. Um, Is Keith Carradine, brother to David Carradine. Correct. Good at this game. And Scott Glenn is good character, being in lots of stuff. He's the guy that um, he's the drug dealer in Training Day that Denzel Washington kills. You know the the old guy. I do. And he's also in Man on Fire. Yep. Say. Yeah. 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 Anyway, and uh, for the role of Murtar, as I say, ethnicity wasn't a factor, so Brian Dennehy was considered, um, but turned it down because... Oh my God, I'm just thinking of a film like Brian Dennehy, and then you could have had Stallone as Riggs. That um, would have been brilliant. But uh, yeah, Brian Dennehy (laughs) turned it down because he'd played cops before in First Blood and FX. Um, But uh, Dennehy and Glover had appeared in the film Silverado, which... It's a Western. It's a Western, yeah. yep. Um, is Kevin Costner in that, or am I thinking of something else? Uh, yes. Is it uh, a, a tomb- small role? Tombstone's the one with... Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell and... Michael uh, Bean. And Val Kilmer. And Val Kilmer. And uh, Bill Paxton. That's a good film. Good film. Really like Tombstone. Maybe we should do, add that to the list. Uh, Let us know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Silverado was not as good. Not, <laughs> not as, as good. good. And as that's all we're going to say. And we Silverado will, was not as good as other films. And we will not be doing it. And we will not be covering it in Retro Ramble. So is that all of uh, Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda? Yep. Which brings us to suspicious spin-offs. So, 
The obvious one is... Prequel, Nam. Nam stories. Yeah, I want to see them both. Sh- in Shadow Nam. Company. Or just a different type. I'm, I think, because we talked about this, I'm not sure how much we've talked about in this uh, live, uh, but George and I have been talking about the darker version of this film that Shane Black wanted to make. And a lot of that featured a lot of flashbacks to Nam. And that could have been a... Because this is, uh, I think we should obviously when we're recording this there has since been I'm not sure very successful series of Lethal oh, no, Weapon they had a few a few series seasons I haven't uh, watched I, I, any of it I haven't uh, watched any of it because obviously we're so loyal to the original but um, no apparently I think it had like three or four seasons but if you were going to reboot the films and do it in a very different genre that could be interesting where you introduce the characters through flashbacks yeah. of them actually in active service in Nam. that would be a spin-off that I would watch in terms of obviously it's always difficult to talk about spin-offs when we're talking about a franchise of four films well that's it uh, so it's like what would you see that you haven't seen less I- Joe Pesci Leo <laughs> gets um, he's not that bad but yeah I mean I say yeah it's, it's tough and I think we faced this before with uh, with other films that when there's been so many sequels there's been TV spin-offs it's hard to come up with an amusing suspicious spin-off however <laughs> my pitch is at home with the Murtars. So it's basically a hilarious Cosby show style shenanigans that are frequently interrupted by horrific violence. Oh no, that's Lethal Weapon 4. Um, so yeah, that was it. So it's like, you know, uh, that was my fun take. But it's it's very hard, I think, to, to, to go stray too far from, from the formula. And also we can't really talk about a funny spin-off of this film because it already exists and it's loaded weapon one and we've mentioned it go if you haven't seen it uh check it out yeah emilio estevez and uh come come around we've got it on dvd yeah come around you can come watch it with us because we watch it whenever we're drunk (laughs) which is occasionally quite quite often uh so that was suspicious spin-offs so uh that was lethal weapon 987 next time do we have any idea what we're going to be back it's going to be christmas it's it's it's, going to be the end of the year well no this is our christmas episode well this is to get you in the mood this This is is december yes so this is um so a quick shout out i know a few people have told me recently they are going to be um listening to this on their the the instead of chris rear they will be putting this on a, the driving home for christmas so uh, ali ewan said he'd be listening to this on the drive back and i think uh, sam smith said he would listen to our last christmas episode which was die hard speaking of which we should plug our next up and coming live show Yes, because we, uh, obviously, dear listeners, you'll remember we covered Die Hard last Christmas on the podcast where we are actually doing a live, another live show. A hosted event. Yeah, hosted event. A hosted screening. It's probably more uh, accurate. Yeah. Uh, so Legally accurate. So this is, uh, once again, back in the northeast of England. We do we are scheduled to be doing some shows in London and further afield. Um, but right now, it's uh, so that's going to be the time of miracles. We will be doing a shortened version of the show before screening of Die Hard. Yeah, so that's on Tuesday, 3rd of December at Bobbix, uh, which is in Newcastle, at the, the Punch Bowl in Jasmond. And plenty more information about the availability and the times. Oh, we'll be plugging the shit out of it on on all the channels and all the channels. But uh, yeah, tickets are free. Uh, It's a great venue. There's a good bar, good selection of ales and it's diehard for Christ's sakes. Yeah. And you get to see George and I in the flesh. In the flesh. Uh, There will be prizes. There will be games. We turn suspicious spinoffs into a game. Audience participation. Is, you could say suggested. Others might say mandatory. Mandatory. Um, So yes, we've we've got that coming up uh, in the near future because obviously this will be going out end of november um and then we have our yes our hosted event for uh die hard 
But um, we are going to be sticking in, in terms of uh, what we're going to do sort of coming out end of December, we're sticking in the buddy cop genre and we are fast forwarding to 95 and 2003. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? For the imminent release of Bad Boys for Life, which comes out in January. Yes, we are going to do a Bad Boys special. So we are getting our Michael Bay on. Um, Michael Bayhem, not just one film. But both films. Yeah, we thought we'd, we'd cover both of them. Well, as uh, you've heard us talk about in this episode, it's difficult to talk about Lethal Weapon uh, without talking about the other films in the franchise. However, Bad Boys 1 and 2, standing alone as they do, it's worth covering them both. They're two, they're two actually very different, yet very similar films. And, I'm looking forward and, to... And are indebted a lot to Lethal Weapon, as I realised when I was watching Bad Boys the other night. Oh, yeah. Big, big time, big time. Some would say a, a bad boys, uh, sorry, a lethal weapon of the nineties. It, it very much did take that mantra. So it'll be that, and, and we've got our review of the year. Yes, which we uh, are already recording. We'll be recording in bits and bobs. Yeah, yeah but that's where George and I review our. Um, we are right back in present day. Uh, we are reviewing the films that have been out in two thousand and nineteen, and our the blockbusters. Yeah, uh, the ones we've seen because we find it easier to review films that we've seen. Anything else you want to plug? You got a book coming out. Um, what do you have for dinner? No, no books coming out. Um, I do have a, a line of knitwear in the works, but so, so stay tuned. Okay. Um, so that that was uh, Lethal Weapon. Um, I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mr. Luga, I don't have one. You are not carrying a weapon. Don't believe in them. Pick up the gun. Drop the gun. Mr. Luga, don't do it. Drop the gun. Or I shoot your partner. He's gonna shoot me anyway. Drop it, we're both dead. Wes, shoot him. Come on, shoot him. Shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. <laughs>